this week on the podcast talking with the president of Playworks and how their earned revenue model drives both dollars and impact for the organization. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled that we finally have Playworks on, and their model is incredible. We're going to go into it in depth with the president uh, of the organization, uh, Elizabeth Cushing. And our our conversation goes around sort of understanding this program, how it's implemented in schools, how it then layered on top of that, their earned revenue models, using it both as a signal suggesting that organizations and and schools are interested in their work because they're willing to pay, but then also supporting the underlying work of the organization, not through donation, but through this earned revenue model that also meets uh, the needs of impact and how they've grown it and thought about it and new initiatives. I'm excited because they are incredibly smart strategic thinkers and are going to give you new ideas and thoughts on how to maybe approach your existing business and nonprofit approach and say, hey, how would we put a Playworks layer of earned revenue and impact on it? I'm thrilled that we have Elizabeth Cushing, the president of Playworks, on uh, on our podcast today. Elizabeth, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, for those that live under rocks uh, or don't enjoy fun, uh, can you explain what Playworks does and, and your role there? Yes. So at Playworks, we really believe in the power of play. When we say that, what we mean is that every kid should get to play every day. It's just a part of the kind of childhood that we all want for kids in our community. And for 20 years, we have been making safe and healthy play happen in elementary schools across the country. And the kind of play we're talking about is Foursquare and kickball and tag. And it's amazing how having an opportunity to play those games every day at school builds kids' sense of joy, they have fun, they build friendships, they learn how to resolve conflicts, Uh, they feel included at school, and they go back to class focused and ready to learn. So that's what we do, and we do it in over uh, 2,000 schools across the country who are making safe and healthy play happen so that school is a place where kids want to be. That's awesome because I think, you know, recess is one of those like afterthoughts, Um, you know, when we're when we're looking at it, we're like, obviously, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. These are the pieces. These are the things that make students uh, go forward. But it seems like you actually bring a lot of uh, a lot of research to bear when it comes to like, hey, here's a here's a kid on recess. Here's a kid on not recess. What are some of the numbers that drive this for you? Well, what's interesting is there's a lot of research on play and its value for kids, particularly ages zero to five. And it's almost as if once kids get into elementary school, we forget that play is a developmentally important activity. It is a time that they actually learn through play. And in the typical elementary school day, 
recess is the one time in the school day where the teachers aren't in charge. The teachers aren't the experts. In fact, the kids are the experts. The kids are the ones who know how to play. And it's the time when they learn social skills like cooperating and resolving conflicts and uh, keeping the game going together. So we have taken what is known about play as a valuable developmental activity, combine that with uh, really uh, well-known youth development principles, things like having a caring and consistent adult working with kids really improves the outcomes of whatever that, uh, that adult is trying to do with them. And we've launched that in a time in the school day that has actually become uh, in many cases, a source of negative behavior and kind of a dip in the way school feels for kids. So if you imagine that recess can be a place where um, bullying happens, where kids are excluded, where they get hurt because the game has gotten uh, rough in a way that is above anybody's uh, you know, boundary of what's okay. And it doesn't have to be that way. We're, we're able to pretty simply and easily make recess a time that everyone gets to be included, everyone gets to play, everyone gets to be active, uh, and using that knowledge of play and youth development in a space that in the past hasn't really been focused on actually produces incredible results. So those results include things like uh, we've had a randomized control trial and dozens of evaluations, and they found things like kids feel safer at school when PlayWorks is part of their school environment. Uh, bullying evaporates. Physical activity increases. The amount of time it takes to transition kids from the playground into learning activity in the classroom is shortened. And kids also learn these skills like cooperation and self-regulation and uh, the ability to resolve conflicts with each other. So our evaluation results show that all of that is possible through play if it's done in an intentional, thoughtful, and fun way. Brilliant. I, I love, you know, what otherwise may come off as like simple solutions to complex problems. And it seems like this is certainly one and one that has been tested, uh, which uh, which is great. Talk to me about expansion. How like schools are notoriously just like impossible to get into. Yes, it's a really interesting business if you think about our work that way. Uh, so PlayWorks began with a model that was providing a direct service. Uh, we call it the coach service, and it's placing one coach in a low-income school, so 50% or more free and reduced lunch students, and putting them there full-time. And I think like many nonprofit entrepreneurs, our founder, Jill Violet, conceived of this first version of it as a way to most effectively solve the problem, bring a resource and solve it. She did, I think smartly, in the beginning, make sure that the school had some financial skin in the game. So we have schools pay about 50% of what that full-time person costs. And they're willing to do that because the chaos at recess can be a real detractor from a learning environment. So it's worth it to them to have recess be a fun, active, and smooth time in the school day so kids can go back to learning. So our first, our first model, which we still do today, is a full-time person 
in a school. And it's a fantastic model if uh, all we want to be is a small, uh, regionally uh, limited uh, intervention or innovation because it's difficult to scale a one human, one school model to the entire universe of elementary schools in, in the United States, which is about 70,000, um, partially because it's so human intensive and partially because it relies on philanthropy for about half of it. And so as we were growing and seeing what demand there was from principals, word of mouth started to spread. We even had principals in Baltimore reach out to us in Oakland and say, please, won't you come to Baltimore? So we, we did start growing with that coach service, but pretty quickly we realized that it wasn't going to be enough. We weren't going to be able to scale to enough schools and impact enough kids if we relied on this single coach model that was both human and financially resource intensive. So we developed a second service that is a professional development service. We call it PRO, and PRO is about teaching any school, the school staff there, how to do what we do in coach schools. And it turns out we can have equal impact. We can achieve the same level of safe and healthy play with professional development services if the conditions are right. So we now have pro services available to schools of any income level in any geography in the United States. We fly our trainers around and have found that they can, in fact, enable a school to achieve the same recess, the same experience for kids that our first model, the coach model, could achieve. Yeah, it's amazing when you uh, unleash the train-the-trainer model properly uh, and then also make sure it's working. I want to move to Recess Lab. Like, there's a yeah. lot of Recess-branded things here. So we got Pro. I got Pro. Talk yeah. to me about Recess Lab. Yeah, so as uh, we grew, you can imagine that we were so focused on ourselves <laughs> that our metrics about impact were all about the number of schools we were serving directly with coach and pro. And that makes sense. We were measuring the outcomes in those schools and that gave a sense for the scale of our impact. But when we stepped back and said, is that is direct service the way we're going to achieve the, the one day vision that we have? And the one day vision is that one day in America, every kid will get to play at school every day. Well, it's not reasonable to think that one organization will directly serve 70,000 schools. So we had to step back and say to ourselves, how might we actually achieve that impact or make that impact possible without being the ones to physically deliver the service. And that's when we shifted our, our metric of how we count our impact from the number of schools we serve to the number of schools that have safe and healthy play. So if a school has safe and healthy play without Playworks, that's great. We want that. We want to know them and connect with them, but they don't have to buy our services. So we needed a way to engage with schools that was not Playwork selling its services focused, but was rather focused on recess and the outcomes we seek there. So we built, uh, with some investment, uh, a website called Recess Lab. And it is powered by Playworks, but it's not our organizational website. And Recess Lab is aimed at principals and teachers specifically to inspire them 
to take a look at recess and what's happening, to give them some free resources, video resources about how to get started. We focus on the most foundational pieces of our work, such as getting adults in the game at recess and inviting them to be in relationship with us by giving us their email, by telling us their story. And we embedded in Recess Lab a quick assessment that schools can use. It's about a five minute assessment that a principal or teacher or even a parent can take from observing the recess. And it asks questions that really inspire thinking and noticing what the experience of recess is like. And that's called the recess checkup. So we have now a data source coming from Recess Lab. We've had over 5,000 principals and teachers take the recess checkup in the first year of it being available. And that data is telling us something about the state of play in the United States. And it's also giving us relationships that we can then support those folks digitally instead of having to go to them directly. Oh, I now you said something very interesting. It started these 5,000 relationships, which moves to this idea of like, well, we're still giving away something for free. However, it also leads to, I believe you call it Playworks U. That is the, this, the, the sort of parent or top of the pyramid for this. Can you explain then how you stack uh, Playworks U on top of this? Sure, sure. So Recess Lab gives away free resources. They are the basic building blocks. And the Recess Checkup tells a school where they are on the spectrum of safe and healthy play. And the principal or teachers may take those free resources and try them on and feel good about that. And that may change their recess practices enough that they're actually achieving a better experience for kids. In many cases, however, the principal or teachers start using those free resources and realize that they wanna learn more. They wanna go deeper. They want some advice uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. And so for those schools, we created Playworks U, which is an online learning platform. Schools buy a subscription to it for a year for everyone in their school. And we have a series of courses that are video-based courses that show in video and with printed um, instructions that accompany each course how to implement each of the uh, pieces of Playworks, each of the activities, specific games, and teaching kids certain skills on the playground. And we specifically designed and, and actually tested these courses with folks in schools before we built this out. We built the courses to be very brief. So they range from five minutes to nine minutes long. They're each a single concept. And what we're finding is that principals are loving this subscription because it gives them chunks of learning they can bring to a faculty meeting on a regular basis. Say, we're gonna work on conflict resolution. We're going to work on using rock, paper, scissors, which we can do in classrooms and on the playground. Uh, we're going to watch this video. We're going to try this on, and then we're going to check in at our next meeting about how that's going. So Playworks U has enabled us to have an earned revenue stream similar to our direct services, but it's a digital service, and it vastly increases our reach and the number of schools that we can get on board with the movement to provide more safe and healthy play. 
I mean, I like this for so many reasons because you're leveraging uh, technology and, and digital training to scale disproportionate to staff. Right now, somebody, potentially, a principal somewhere in our country is literally going through doing this right now and it is taking up zero staff time. It is right. increasing their impact and, by the way, helping your bottom line. Uh, with regard to earned revenue, can you share what percent of Playworks budget comes from earned revenue? Yeah, it's about 60% of Playworks operating budget. And in the earned revenue bucket, we include the school fees that are paid for Coach and Pro and for Playworks U. And we also include our AmeriCorps partnership, which is a source of funding for those coach schools. And I'll say that over time, as we've grown, we have recognized that to be sustainable for the long term, any new service we design, like Playworks U is our newest service, or any new version of it even, needs to have an extremely high earned revenue percentage in the projection of what how it will be funded at steady state. So I'm not saying in the beginning we use philanthropy to build new things, but as we get into the operations of a new service, we need to be sure that it's going to be largely earned income driven. So at this point, we don't design anything new that isn't at least 80 percent uh, earned income driven at its full scale. And for, for those uh, you know chief financial geeks out there, why is this not counted as UBIT, and what does that actually mean? Oh, yeah. So because the services we're providing to schools are, in fact, uh, the, achieving the mission of the nonprofit, of our nonprofit, we're not creating income that is unrelated. So UBIT is unrelated business income. And if we were, say, you know, running a taqueria on the side to fund our work, Tacos are, are delicious, but not part of our mission, and that would be considered UBIT. But because our services are focused on achieving the improved well-being of children using play, which is all of our work, uh, it fits squarely in simply the earned income column. This is fantastic, and I hope the people listening realize that this wasn't a uh, overnight success. This is one of those uh, over over one decade of work and refining and building and building and building uh, type of successes. And it's really exciting because it seems like the engine is working. Uh, you know, as uh, as we we talk about this though, Elizabeth, I, I wonder because you're from Playworks, if you wouldn't mind playing a game. I'd be love happy to play a game always. Well, welcome to Pro versus Con. And in this case, we're going to be talking about earned revenue for nonprofits. Good thing or bad thing? Would you like to take the Pro, earned revenue? Super smart. Go do that. Or Con, there are downsides, dark corners, evilness about. Um, well, I'm definitely in favor of it, but I could for fun take the Con just to share uh, hey. how that shows up. You know what? You're the guest. Okay, I'll take con this time as long as Ooh, I'm on the record. I don't think I've ever had a guest take the con. You are. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm on the record already is thinking earned income is the biggest engine of our growth. But I think it might come to share. Well, let's see if you can sink that ship. Um, would you like to start or shall I? I'll, I'll start. Okay. So doesn't having earned income mean that you're only willing to serve those schools that can pay you, which leaves out the schools that are neediest? 
on the pro side? Well, to, to rebut that, we start and have started with models that can scale. And if you can't feed yourself, you can't feed your team, you can't feed the people that you're working with. So if your revenue fails and your models fail, then it really doesn't matter because you serve nobody. So economic sustainability is goal number one, despite being a nonprofit and earned revenue lets you write your own checks. Back to you. So what about your employees who come there because they work, want to work for a mission that they feel a lot of heart about, and then it turns out you're charging the very people they want to serve. That can't feel good. A 501c3, as a, as, as a wise boss once told me, is simply a classification that the IRS gives. So nonprofit and the way you know we, we scale and, and get our money actually uh, really relates to are we serving the public interest and in a good positive way. I have seen that actually having a financial commitment increases the likelihood that an organization can make sure people are using the product or involved in it. I believe there's an organization, Playworks, that actually sees higher uh, commitment based on the fact uh, that they are paying to play uh, in there. And I think with regard to staff, when they see that the commitment is there and they realize that model, uh, it actually plays into that as well. That was well done. <laughs> I, will, I will go on to say that I think earned revenue models prove a product market fit plus impact that doesn't necessarily get proven when a nonprofit is handed gobs of money without consumers needing to vote with their wallets. So. Uh, while more difficult, it is true proof that a service that is being delivered is undeniably valuable to the stakeholder. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, because um, now I can't do con anymore. <laughs> you ran out of con. <laughs> but I think that we have uh, really taken a customer-focused approach as we've been, as we designed Recess Lab and Playworks U, and we went out and we talked to principals and we showed them rough prototypes and we asked them how they would use it because we wanted to achieve impact. Like that was the driver. And the truth is that when you get that feedback from your customer and they tell you, no, this is what I need, I need more of this, then the fact that they, they'll pay for it is an engine for ensuring that more principals will have access to it. So uh, I think the two things go hand in hand and it's been um, very instructive for us to compare the, the incremental net revenue from each of our services along one axis to the impact, the quality of safe and healthy play on another axis and to recognize which channels really maximize both and, and focusing there. And that doesn't mean that we won't always have coach, which requires philanthropy for 50% of it. We will, we will always have coach, but where we will grow will be in the, in the service channels that both meet the need of the schools, provide impact, and are scalable through that earned revenue. So I, I don't have an MBA, but I feel like I've earned one over the course of 10 years of uh, leading this work here. So this is just uh, a selfish question on, on, my, on my part here, because it always gets me. You know, when I was founding Whole Whale, I was deciding between C3 versus an LLC. And ultimately, after doing the math, right, obviously tax-free is valuable, but I realized that 
we can actually have shareholders. We can take on outside investment and I can do things like profit distribution. I get like this extra sort of like funny money because mm -hmm. I can talk about shares of my company in a way that a 501c3 can't. Mm -hmm. To that end, does it ever you know cross your mind and you don't have to share, cross your mind <laughs> on creating a, a for-profit entity that can actually take on investment and actually get to silly amounts of scale because you have ARR? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, well, first I'll say that we we have major investors in our growth strategy. Uh, when I talked about like having philanthropy to build Recess Lab and to build Playworks U, and we really approach those investors like they are for-profit investors. They're not going to get any return, but we treat them like people who have invested in our organization and have uh, opinions and perspective on our growth and the challenges we're facing that are worth that are worth engaging, right? So I, I think we've learned something from the for-profit sector around how you work with outside investors to maximize your your impact. Um, I I don't think that PlayWorks itself would benefit from being a, a for-profit simply because of the work that we do, play and its emotional benefits um, are, are are warm and, and fuzzy and may not fit that. I will say, however, that we are playing with the idea of establishing a separate for-profit company to sell culture services, sort of culture consulting services to for-profit companies based on what we've learned here at Playworks, uh, both as from our culture itself and from working in school cultures. We think we have something to add to that for-profit field. Uh, and if that for-profit company, which would be you know, uh, incorporated completely separately from Playworks, uh, but would be using essentially our intellectual property and we would own it, if that company uh, was generating profit and that profit could be invested as a contribution back to Playworks, that would be great. Or we could build that company with for-profit investment uh, like you were describing. So because the, the purpose of that company would not be to increase safe and healthy play for kids, but rather would be to improve corporate cultures, we think it would be better off being a separate business. Um, and so that's something we're exploring right now. Awesome. Can you please call it Workplays? Oh, that's so funny. We have totally played with it. And I'll tell you um, that the name that we're using right now is Workswell. Work, Workswell. 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 I like it. It's funny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think half the fun of all these ventures is like coming up with like that clever name where people are like, all right. Yeah. Moving on to our rapid fire round, unless there's anything else that you want to sort of share about the model and how it's growing. I, I, I think the only thing I want to say is that the key to our growth has been recognizing that there is a problem that principals want to solve that nobody else was helping them solve. And so our primary customer is an elementary school principal and that recognizing that and knowing our customers well and building relationships with them has been critical to growth. We've had several people say, why don't you work uh, at the district level? Wouldn't that be faster? And 
We are doing that now after 20 years of having built a reputation, but the district isn't really a direct customer for play and recess. They're, they don't feel the pain of that chaos getting in the way of learning the way a principal does. And so I think it's really important if you're trying to scale something to understand the problem you're solving for your customer, not for you, and to build your scaling strategy and, and all of your interactions around their needs and what they're looking for. Similarly, we've had people suggest that we uh, have a policy strategy to try to mandate more recess or mandate standards for recess. And while we're happily contributing to the field's conversation about what great recess looks like, and we have measurement tools for that, policymakers don't feel the pain of recess either and play is not something that they're concerned there isn't enough of in general. And so we're not, we're not focusing there. I think not all strategies work for scaling everything and you really need to understand your customer and your contribution to that customer and make your scaling decisions based on that. Awesome. Alrighty, moving into the rapid fire round, please keep your responses concise as possible. I, I won't be responding, I'll just be firing off questions at you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year that has been soups awesome? Oh, okay. We have been using LinkedIn Learning as a source of learning opportunities for all of our staff. What I love is that employees can choose whichever courses they want to take. They don't have to be assigned by anyone. And I think it's really broadening horizons. Talk to me about a tech dragon that you need to slay in the coming year. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to uh, link up our systems between, we, we have links, but between Salesforce, which is our, our CRM for everything, and we're trying to link that to our financial system and our evaluation system and our customer feedback system all into one. And it's really that integration that's critical. We know how to use these tools well individually, but if they're not talking to each other, it creates a lot of manual work. What is coming in next year that has you the most excited? Uh, I am super excited about focusing head down on growth in our digital services. I think there are partnerships we could establish that would promote Recess Lab and Playworks U in new ways. I think there are revenue shares with other nonprofit organizations, which is a pretty um, rare occurrence that two nonprofits are selling something and sharing the revenue around it. So I'm super excited about that. And I think there's just a lot more interest in um, bullying and the crossover between online bullying and in the real world bullying, offline bullying. And I think we might be able to contribute some expertise to that conversation. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Totally. I totally do. I envision it happening. It may, it may not be for Playworks in my tenure, um, but I believe it's totally possible. If I were to put you in the hot tub time machine yeah. and send you back to the Elizabeth that was graduating Stanford, yeah, what advice would you give her? Well, I would say 
that leadership is not knowing the answer or knowing how to solve the problem or knowing what the future step is gonna be. Leadership is actually enabling people around you to do their best work and trusting that if they are doing their best work together with you, that you all together will figure out the answer, the solution, and what's the best next step. What is something you think you should stop doing? Oh my God, I should stop staying up so late. <laughs> I I want to get my to-do list done and I have this you know checkbox system and I keep myself up too late trying to check off all the boxes when really I should be not putting so many boxes on in the first place. If I gave you a Harry Potter style wand to wave across the nonprofit industry, what would it do? It would inspire every nonprofit to see the potential to partner with other nonprofits to achieve social change and eliminate that, that fear of sharing and losing financial resources by giving it away. What advice would you give current college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say there are a lot of ways to impact the social sector. Being at a nonprofit is just one of them. For example, we have relied on communications firms, strategic communications firms, to help us build Recess Lab. Uh, and their contribution is not just making it look pretty and have the right words, but, but actually to do some of that testing with our customers. So I think communications is another vehicle for being in the social sector. Working in government is not a bad idea to understand what big scale really looks like. Uh, and there are now a lot of uh, hybrid efforts that are that are um, that are maybe in the for-profit sector, but working for social change, and those are worth investigating too. So I would just say, don't limit yourself to the sector that is that is called nonprofits, if what you care about is social change, there are a lot of ways to contribute to that. And the final softball coming at you. How do people find you? How do people help you? Yes, well, you can find us at playworks.org. That is our organizational website. Uh, we are also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if you're interested in just seeing what those free resources look like that we're making available, go to recesslab.org. If you're a parent or a teacher or a principal, go take the recess checkup, which is part of Recess Lab. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. Thanks for having me. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. Special thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org. Thank you, Greg. Your tunes are awesome. I'll never get tired of your whistling. If you want some music created by Greg, gregthomasmusic.org is where you may find him.